Welcome to the third episode of the Practical EdTech Podcast. This episode is 25 minutes long, and I cover some of the highlights of the EdTech world from the last week or so, and I answer a bunch of questions from readers, listeners, and viewers like you. If you like the podcast, please let me know, and if you have any other feedback for me, or questions for me, send me an email, richard at burn.media, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of Practical EdTech Live. I'm your host, Richard Byrne, and as I do every week, I am answering questions from readers and viewers and listeners like you who want to know the answer to anything EdTech related. And before we do that, I have some cool things you might have missed in the last week or couple of weeks. It's kind of a kind of covering the last couple of weeks, uh, but mostly in the last week. Some neat new things that you might have missed. And then I'll jump into the questions that I've gotten in the last week. I've got about six questions that I've received in the last week, and I'm more than happy to answer them for the whole wide world. Uh, so first things new and neat you might have missed. Uh, it's not exactly brand new, but it is new uh, in the last few months anyway. Uh, it's a book from Scott McLeod and Julie Graber, Harnessing Technology for Deeper Learning. I just picked up a copy of it about a week and a half ago, read through it this week. Uh, it's not a terribly long book. It's 56, 58 page, 58 pages long. Uh, so it's so a quick read, but don't dismiss it because it's a quick read. Uh, it's very practical uh, ideas for shifting the way that uh, we think about using technology in our classroom. In fact, they call it the four shifts protocol uh, is what they talk about in the book. Uh, in fact, I wrote a blog post about it that I will have up tomorrow on Free Tech for Teachers uh, about how reading the book influenced the way that I've now thinking about using the idea of book trailers in classrooms. And shameless plug for the future, uh, Dr. Scott McLeod will be on a podcast that I'm doing in a couple of weeks. Uh, so, but uh, And full disclosure, I bought the book myself. It's not a promo copy. It's a book I actually bought myself. So good book. All right. Uh, so some other things that have come up in the last week or so that are worth sharing. Uh, I wrote about I wrote about it, made a video about it. It's new fonts are available in Google Docs, slides, and spreadsheets. Now, that alone isn't anything to get too excited about. You know, great, there's new fonts. Woohoo, right? Uh, there's already 450 fonts. Who needed more fonts, right? Uh, what's significant about these new fonts actually is that they're what's called Lexend fonts, L-E-X-E-N-D, Lexend fonts. So again, L-E-X-E-N-D. Uh, and they're designed specifically to help improve reading speed and actually have been proven to uh, improve reading speed. There's a, so it's a, it's a family of fonts and you'll notice compared to your typical Times New Roman or Georgia or Arial fonts or Sans fonts, uh, the, the spacing is a little bit different. Uh, it's a little wider, a uh, little more uh, 
well, just in general, a little more spread out, a little more rounded in some cases. Check it out. Uh, give it a try. Really easy to add to your Google Doc. Uh, you can choose the Lexend font. So you have to do a search for it, Lexend, L-E-X-E-N-D, and you can add that in. Once you've added it to Google Docs, it'll also appear in Google Slides and in your spreadsheets as well. But I think it's most important in Docs and Slides. Uh, I don't think anyone reading a spreadsheet is necessarily reading for speed in a spreadsheet. So check those out. Really cool stuff. Right. Um, so I talk about Google stuff a lot, but I want to give a shout out to some new things or a new, kind of a neat thing that's happening in the Microsoft world. Uh, OneNote is, is a great tool. I actually use OneNote for all of my bookmarking. Uh, I should say all of it, but most of my bookmarking happens in OneNote these days. Uh, I find it's a little easier to organize my bookmarks in OneNote than, I, than in Google Keep. Uh, now, Google Keep is great. I use Google Keep for a lot of other things. I use Google Keep for many years for bookmarking. Uh, and I still use Google Keep for lots of reminders and quick notes and things like that. Uh, but I use OneNote for bookmarking. Uh, and OneNote has a lot of other capabilities and, and features that uh, I don't use but, I, but do exist. What Microsoft announced this week is that you can now import your OneNote notebook content into class notebooks for Microsoft Teams. So if you're a Microsoft Teams user and you have class notebooks, you can now easily import all your OneNote content or some of your OneNote content, if you want to, it doesn't have to be all of it, some of your OneNote stuff into class notebooks. Uh, and in the description for this video and in the description for the podcast, I'll try to, I'll include the link for uh, how to do that. Three other neat new things this week that I want to share with you. Uh, number one, Yo Puppet. Yo Puppet is an augmented reality app that kids can use to control digital puppets with their hands. So the way that it works is you set up your iPad, and it is only available in iPad right now. Set up your i set up your iPad, and what you do with it is you have the camera pointing at your hands or hands, and by moving your hands you are moving various puppets. Your hand becomes a puppet. Uh, you know, there's like a dinosaur in there, there's some different animals uh, that, that students control by moving their hands around. Now, I will say the setup of it was a little bit tricky. So if you're time crunched, you know, this might not be the thing where, you know, this might not be a thing you want to dedicate uh, you know, half an hour of your time with second graders to, right? Uh, but it is kind of a neat thing. It does show some of the potential of augmented reality uh, and some of the things you can do with it. It's kind of a neat, kind of a neat little thing to play around with. Um, I've been playing with the idea of writing a blog post about it. I'm not sure if it's universal enough that it's going to be worth writing a blog post about. Uh, but I thought I'd, I'd throw it in there as a kind of a cool thing. Uh, now, some things that it, that are universal. Or pretty universal. Quizzes this week added three new options for making questions. Quizzes is a quiz game review game platform. I talked about it in a separate video and in a separate podcast earlier this week. Uh, some thoughts on why you may or may not get excited about quizzes. Um, but what's neat about the new features, you can now add math questions. Uh, so you can add so there's an equation editor that you can use for 
creating math questions. Uh, you can now do open response questions or questions that don't have a clear cut, right, wrong answer. And you can do audio questions. You can include an audio file in your question prompt now in quizzes. Uh, quizzes also earlier this summer announced a team mode as well. And last but not least, last cool thing you might have missed in the last week, uh, Edu Twitter, EDU Twitter. Uh, you can find it at edutwitter.org. is a new site developed by Tristan Kirkpatrick. The purpose of the site is to create a searchable index of educators on Twitter. So it's great for people who are new to Twitter. If you're introducing Twitter to uh, your colleagues and they're trying to find out who should I follow, right? In the past, what we would do is we'd send out a tweet and say, who should I follow, right? Uh, Edu Twitter lets you just go and search for people or browse for people to follow in, in the education world according to their specialty or their area of interest, uh, the age of the students that they teach or work with. Okay? Uh, you can also filter based on how many tweets a person has sent. Um, so it's kind of a neat, neat way to discover new people without having to rely on the Twitter algorithm for suggestions. You can you know, uh, use that. So thanks to Tristan for developing that kind of a cool tool. Check it out at edutwitter.org, edutwitter.org. All right. Now let's jump into some questions that I've gotten. Now I don't answer every single question on in a broadcast or in a podcast. Uh, because some of them are not universal enough, right? Uh, so, but I do answer them. I do try to answer every question that I get sent, sent in my email. Some weeks I get more than others, but I do try to answer all of them. Uh, and the ones that are pretty universal or I think have a universal appeal potentially are the ones that I answer. So questions from readers and listeners and viewers like you. Uh, the first one came from Jim, who emailed me earlier this week asking about my plans for the podcast and do I plan to make it available through Pocket Casts? So yes, uh, I do. Uh, so I'm using the Anchor.fm platform to distribute the new Practical EdTech podcast, which is still in its infancy, still working out the quirks on it. Uh, but I am using Anchor.fm to distribute the podcast because Anchor.fm makes it really easy for people to distribute the podcast to a whole bunch of platforms. So I upload it to anchor.fm and it will distribute to a whole bunch of platforms. Right now, it will distribute, it now, like about 24 hours after Jim emailed me, it is now available through Pocket Cast. It is also available through Spotify. You can also listen to it on Google Podcasts. You can find it on Radio Public and you can find it on the Anchor platform itself, anchor.fm. So uh, those are the five places that it's available right now. It'll be available in more places in the coming weeks as I produce more content and uh, more of you listen to it. All right. So thanks, Jim, for your support on that. Jim's an early adopter of my podcast or early listener to my new podcast. All right. Uh, next question. Uh, hey, Richard, I enjoy your site. Thanks for everything you do. Quick question for you. What do you use to make the circle appear in your screencast videos? Scott. Uh, so this question I get fairly often. This is a question I get fairly often. Uh, the tool that I use for all the screencast videos that you see on my YouTube channel, with the exception of uh, 
maybe two or three in the last couple of years. All of my screencast videos are made using Screencast-O-Matic. You, you can find it at screencast-o-matic.com. That's screencast-o-matic.com. Uh, there is a browser-based version of Screencast-O-Matic that's free. It'll work on your Chromebook. It'll work in your, on your web browser and any computer. The version that I use is the desktop version, which costs $18 a year. And the desktop version includes uh, a whole lot of features, including that circle you see around my, uh, around my cursor. Uh, you can change, and I should say the circle you, around the cursor is available in the free version as well. Uh, in the paid version, you can customize what that circle looks like. The paid version removes the watermark. Paid version gives you uh, unlimited recording time. The, the paid version includes a uh, green screen capability. Not that I ever use it. Uh, there are better tools for for green screen than, than Screencast-O-Matic, but it uh, does have that capability. Uh, and some other uh, little editing tools, including background music and things like that. So that's my long answer to the short question. Uh, Screencast-O-Matic is the tool I use for uh, making that little circle appear in my screencast videos. All right. Next question came from Angela. Hey, Richard. I've made a playlist of videos that I plan to use as part of my unit on metaphors. Is there a way that I can show the videos in class without having to fast forward to the parts that are important? So, Angela, yes, there is. Um, there's a couple of ways you can do this. So, number one, uh, well, the first way that the, the first way that I would do it, the way the way that I would do it in my classroom, is I would slide to a slides. And by doing that, uh, number one, I'm removing all the distractions that are, appear around YouTube videos when I play them just in YouTube. Right? So I'll put the video into a Google slide. Right? And you can do that from the insert menu. Just go to insert video and then put in the link to the YouTube video. Right? When you do that, you then have video options. And in the video options, if you click on video options in Google slides, you can specify a start time and an end time for the video. So if you've watched a video, you can go and say, okay, the part that I need is from 38 seconds to 59 seconds. Okay? And it will just automatically start at that time and end at that time. Okay? Now you can override it if you need to, if your kid's like, hey, Mr. Byrne, watch that again. Angela's name is probably not Mr. Byrne. Uh, <laughs> in my case, if my kids say, hey, Mr. Byrne, can we watch that again? I can override that and hit the play button and go back and play it again. Uh, or I could click through to the actual YouTube, uh, but that's what I would do. I'd put it in Google Slides. The other thing you can do is when you go to share a video in YouTube, uh, if you want to share the, this one, if you're watching this video right now, and you want to jump to the part where I answer Angela's question, when you go to share it, there's a option to specify a start time for the shared video. So those are two things that are built right into YouTube or built into Google Slides that you can use to specify those start and end times and not have to kind of lucky dip or, or guess at where the video is going to play. Um, outside of that environment, you might look at a tool like Class Hook uh, or, a tool, or a tool like Edpuzzle, which both will allow you to build questions in around specific parts of a video, but that's getting beyond what you just asked me. 
All right. Now, the next question. Uh, this question, uh, I watched your videos about making Google Earth files, but I must be missing something. When I make the tour in Google Earth on my laptop, it looks fine. I follow the directions for viewing it on Chromebooks, but it doesn't render correctly. Not all the place marks are displaying full screen. What am I doing wrong? Thanks for any help you can offer, Bob. Um, so, Bob, here's the thing. There is kind of a quirk. Uh, there is kind of a known quirk, and I don't have a perfect solution for you on this. The one thing that I would check is the resolution of the original image. Right? Uh, and when you say place marks are, are displaying full screen, uh, I'm guessing that you're talking about filling up the entire place mark box, not actually full screen, like taking over the whole laptop screen or the whole computer screen, Chromebook screen. Uh, I would check your the original resolution of your original KML file. Uh, and by the way, you can only import the KML file into the new version of Google Earth, the web version of Google Earth. You can't do the KMZ import. Right? Uh, so that's what I would check. Uh, other than that, uh, I haven't been able to replicate that kind of problem. I know it is kind of a, a known issue. Other people have asked me about it. And it doesn't seem to be a, a simple solution other than just messing about with the resolution of the original file, the original image. Okay. All right. Uh, next question came from Kelsey, my friend Kelsey. Uh, actually, don't really know Kelsey, but <laughs> I'm going to say my friend Kelsey anyway. All right. So Kelsey asked me, uh, you know a lot about Google, so I want to get your opinion on an issue that's come up in our district. We've been at Google School for four years. I've heard from our IT director that our new superintendent wants to switch to Microsoft environment because that's what business world uses. For the folks who are listening or watching this, uh, Kelsey put quotation marks around, that's what the business world uses. Uh, do you have any information that we could share with, uh, oh, do we have any information we could, you could share that could help persuade him not to make a switch next year? Thanks. Uh, I probably shouldn't have even mention Kelsey's name in here, just so she didn't get outed. But sorry, Kelsey. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, uh, I'll, I'll just tackle the question of that's what the business world uses. It's kind of a, a dated argument to make. I think uh, that that's what the business world uses. That's so. Therefore, we should use that. Uh, it's dated argument for two reasons. Number one, it's not true now. There are plenty of businesses that rely on G Suite, G Suite for business. Uh, so there's that issue. Issue number two is that the students we have today are going to be the business leaders of the future. So if they're using Google products right now, guess what they're going to use when they go off to the business world? Google products. All right now, some of them may switch to Microsoft, right? Okay. So just saying it's because that's what the business world uses is kind of a weak argument, I think. That's a terrible argument. Terrible argument to make. Uh, by the way, the governor of Maine tried to make that argument a few years back and you know, fell completely on his face. Uh, so that's part one. Um, part two is part two of my answer here is that uh, Microsoft and, and I think Microsoft has some fantastic products and I think Microsoft is uh, quite a ways ahead of G Suite for education when it comes to accessibility. So when it comes to accessibility features, I think Microsoft is uh, leaps and bounds ahead of where Google is right now. Okay, so I'll put that out there. Uh, 
that said, one of the complaints that, that I still have and that other people still have about micro, about the Microsoft environment is that there are so many versions of the Microsoft products that there will be features that your students might have at school that they won't be able to have on their personal computers at home because they don't have the same subscription. Right? There, so there's some of that. There's some of that or you know, mom and dad have a different computer or mom and dad are trying to help, but what they're seeing is different than what the student is seeing. So it's not quite as universal as if you use Google Drive on your Chromebook and you use, and you use it on your MacBook, it looks and functions the exact same way. There is some of that with Microsoft, but not as much of it as there is with Google. So I don't know if those are going to persuade your superintendent, um, but that's what I'd start with. And our last question came from Steve. And by the way, if you're watching the live stream of this, feel free to jump in with your own questions at any time as well. Uh, or if, and I should point out, if you have questions for me, send me an email. Richard at burn.media is my email address, and I'm more than happy to include your question or answer it off air as well. Uh, so the last question that I have in advance for this week was from Steve. It came from Steve. Uh, thanks for all the great resources you share. I have seniors this year, and I've been tasked with helping them create portfolios that they can take with them after they graduate. I was wondering if you knew of any apps or online tools that would work for this purpose. Keep up the great work, Steve. Thanks, Steve. Um, so this is a question that uh, it comes up you know, well, usually in the spring and not so, not so much in the fall. I'm glad you're planning in the fall, Steve. Uh, I, I usually get a variation in the fall, uh, in the spring. Of, is there a way that we can export this to somewhere else? Right. Uh, so, I'm, Steve, I'm going to give you uh, my take on this question, and that is that you know, if you're a Google school, you can set up some Google Sites, and then let students use Google Sites as a portfolio. With that, I would say. You know, if you're going to do that, you want the kids to take it with them, if you will. One of the things they can do is transfer ownership of the site itself to a personal email address after the end of the school at the end of the school year, provided your district will allow that. Right? So check with your IT admin, your G Suite for Education admin, to make sure that they'll allow that. Uh, so you can do that if you're a G Suite school. Uh, the other thing you could do, the other service I would recommend is using something like Weebly or perhaps Squarespace, uh, probably Weebly because there is a Weebly for education. Uh, use Weebly, again, create usernames and passwords for the kids uh, or have them create their own usernames and passwords and create a free site using Weebly uh, that's forward facing. They can import any content they want. They're not married to the, to the G Suite environment. Um, you can do that. Uh, one other option that I didn't plan to mention, but now that I'm talking about it and thinking about it, uh, is to have the kids use something like uh, EduBlogs or WordPress.com. Uh, either one of those services, have them create a WordPress-based site. EduBlogs is WordPress-based. WordPress uh, WordPress.com is obviously WordPress-based as well. Use one of those, a service like that. Uh, you know, EduBlogs is great because you can still manage their accounts during the school year if you want. 
but because they're open source, EduBlogs is uh, WordPress is technical WordPress blog down the road. So if you have kids who are, you know, it depends on the technical skills your kids have, right? Uh, if you have some that are, you know, very technically inclined, very inclined to do this, yeah, have them do it at WordPress, and they can export the content, and move it to any site they want to in the future. Yeah, you can do that. So uh, maybe I just made it more confusing than it needed to be, but yeah. Short answer is Google Sites or Weebly. Those would be the two I'd go with. All right. All right. So that's that's that. And uh, that's the end of this week's episode of Practical EdTech Live uh, for August 23rd, 2019. And happy birthday to my young, my oldest daughter, Isla Quinn, who turned three today. And now that I'm done recording this, we're going to get ready for a birthday party. So I hope everyone has a great weekend or a great week, depending on when you listen to this. And as always, if you have a question for me, send me an email, richard at burn.media. Bye-bye.